Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeart Podcasts, and how the tech are you? You know, it isn't hard to be reductive when we talk about genius inventors. You might imagine the iconic Eureka moment, perhaps done when our inventor is sitting in a quiet study and they're mulling over a particularly difficult problem and then the proverbial light bulb goes off. But in truth, innovation often follows in the footsteps of other discoveries, right? Because our our subject typically stands upon the shoulders of giants and they in turn stand on other giant shoulders and so on, all the way back into history. It's very rare that we come across an invention that truly comes out of nowhere. However, Sometimes innovation comes to us by way of a whoopsie. That's why this episode's all about accidental inventions. You know, maybe the inventor was trying to do something else, but due to a misunderstanding or a mistake or an oversight, they created something else. That's kind of how our first story unfolds. So Dr. William Greatbatch was an engineer. He was born in 1919. And like many young boys back in the 1920s and 30s, he became fascinated with radio technology. During World War II, he joined the Navy. Afterward, he attended Cornell University. He received a Bachelor of Science degree and then pursued postgraduate studies at the University of Buffalo, focusing on electrical engineering. Now, while studying at Buffalo, he also served as an assistant professor. And it was at the University of Buffalo in 1956 when Dr. Greatbatch had his whoopsie. He was attempting to build a device that would monitor a person's heartbeat. They would just listen for your heartbeat and keep track of how fast or slow it was going. 
But Dr. Greatbatch had chosen the wrong kind of resistor to go into his device. So, a resistor is a component within electrical circuits, and its purpose is to regulate the flow of electrical current. So it's a limiter. It resists the flow of current. Now, the resistor will allow some current to go through, as long as it's greater than what it can resist. So the amount depends upon the resistor itself. And there are lots of different kinds of resistors for different levels of electrical current. And Dr. Greatbatch accidentally used a resistor that allowed more current to go through than he had intended. Now, because of this, the device he created didn't just record heartbeats, it would generate electric pulses. But as Dr. Greatbatch considered his goof, he realized something. These pulses were similar to the rhythm of a healthy heart. So perhaps his device could actually deliver electric pulses on purpose and give mild shocks to a heart that would cause it to contract. He could create a device that would assist a heart to beat at a healthy rhythm. And thus, Dr. Greatbatch invented the pacemaker. Now, clearly it took a little while to go from an accidental discovery to creating a true medical device that doctors could implant in a patient. But by 1960, Great Batch's invention was helping a patient's heart beat properly. Now, I'm sure someone at some point would have figured out a similar means to help regulate heartbeats using an electronic device, but we got the invention early, all because of a little mistake. Here's another example of an inventor who was working to solve one problem, only to accidentally solve a problem that he wasn't even thinking about. Back in the 1930s, a Swiss engineer named Walter Jaeger wanted to create a gadget that could detect poisonous gases, like carbon monoxide, for example. And he had personal reasons for doing this. One of his closest friends had died in a poison gas accident inside a laboratory. Now, obviously, being able to alert people to the presence of a dangerous gas that they otherwise might not be able to detect, like carbon monoxide, has no odor, right? So you can't really detect it on your own. Well, obviously, this would have a huge benefit if you could have a detector that could pick up on the presence of such a gas. But Jaeger was running into a bit of a problem. You see, his approach was to create an ionization detector. So ionization is when an atom either loses or gains an electron. And that means your atom becomes a charged particle. So typically, when we talk about atoms, we're talking about particles that have an equal number of negatively charged electrons and positively charged protons. So on the whole, the atom has a neutral charge because these opposite charges cancel each other out. However, if the atom were to shed an electron, then it would have fewer electrons than, than protons and it would have a net positive charge. If it were to gain an electron, well, then it has a net negative charge. And these are ions. Now, a flow of ions can carry an electric charge. You've likely have heard about plasma, which is an ionized gas. Sometimes we talk about that as like the fourth state of matter. Well, the ionization detector that Jaeger was working on had two charged plates inside of it. And these charged plates would attract ions. And because we know opposites attract, a negatively charged plate attracts the positively charged ions toward it. The positively charged plate will attract negatively charged ions toward it. And Jaeger's hypothesis was that this poison gas would interact with those ions and bind with them and thus impede their flow, which would alter their electric current running through the device. And this change in electric current would then activate an alarm and cause a light to light up. 
So if something were to interfere with that electric current, the detector would go off. So the problem was Jaeger wasn't seeing any results. He had been testing and testing, and it just wasn't working. The amount of gas that would actually make it into the detector didn't seem to be sufficient enough to make an appreciable change in the ionic flow, so nothing was happening. So he got discouraged, and he decided he was going to light up a cigarette and smoke away in frustration. And to his surprise, shortly after he started puffing away, the alarm went off. Jaeger discovered that while the poison gas wasn't setting off his alarm, the smoke from his cigarette could do it. So Jaeger accidentally invented the world's first smoke detector. Now, other engineers would improve upon Jaeger's initial design to make it more effective, and many modern smoke detectors work by using radioactive material inside them. But don't worry, it's a very small amount of radioactive material. It's also very well shielded, but it's this that generates the ions in the first place. Anyway, boom, we get smoke detectors because a Swiss physicist had to have a cigarette when his invention wasn't working properly. Speaking of booms, let's talk dynamite. Now, I think I might be stretching the word technology a little bit here, but then considering that the guy who invented dynamite would go on to fund a prestigious award that recognizes achievements in fields that include technology, I think it's forgivable. So this is the story of Alfred Nobel a Swiss engineer who was trying to figure out if there might be a safe way to leverage the rather spectacularly explosive power of nitroglycerin for useful purposes, such as, you know, mining and that kind of stuff. The problem was that nitroglycerin is awfully unstable. It's an oily liquid. It's colorless. You wouldn't think it could cause an explosion, but you'd be dead wrong there. Perhaps literally. Now, Nobel had worked in the lab that actually discovered nitroglycerin, and uh, his his compatriot who was responsible for that discovery was skeptical that it could ever do anything useful, but Nobel had higher hopes. But here's how nitroglycerin works. It contains carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, and these are bound together in molecules. But if those molecular bonds should break, then the molecules will shift to form new molecules and they'll create stuff like carbon monoxide and other types of gases. Now, these gases will bubble and start breaking other molecular bonds, so it speeds up this molecular change at a rate that's so fast, you get a massive release of energy all at the same time. Essentially, you get an explosion. And the really bad news is that just knocking into the stuff could be enough to trigger the reaction. It might not, but it could. Nobel was attempting to make nitroglycerin a useful tool for industry, again, particularly in stuff like mining or maybe clearing land for things like building tunnels. But the unstable nature of the chemical remained a huge concern. And tragically, there were accidents that led to fatalities, including Nobel's own brother back in Stockholm in a lab. So Nobel needed a solution not just to save his own reputation, but to prevent future catastrophes. And he hoped that by mixing nitroglycerin with the dust of otherwise solid material like wood or brick could decrease its volatility. So he tried lots of different stuff, but diatomaceous earth turned out to do the trick. And while I can't say for certain that this discovery was completely incidental or accidental, it shows up in a lot of articles as an accidental invention. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but I'm including it here anyway. Anyway, diatomaceous earth is made up of skeletons. Not human skeletons, but diatom skeletons. So diatoms are these single-celled algae, and their skeletons are cellular walls composed of silica. So really, it's kind of like silica powder. 
Nobel had no reason to believe that silica powder would be a great match for nitroglycerin, but he was desperate to find something, so maybe this is the by chance that we're looking for. Anyway, he discovered that mixing nitroglycerin with silica created a kind of putty or paste, and you could shape the stuff into rods, and using a blasting cap that Nobel also had invented, you could create dynamite. The Play-Doh-like texture meant that nitroglycerin couldn't form bubbles when it got bumped into, so it could no longer initiate that runaway chain reaction that would make, you know, explosions happen with the liquid nitroglycerin stuff. And the rod shape meant that you could do things like drill a hole in a rock face, insert a stick of dynamite into the hole, light the fuse, get the heck out of Dodge, and boom, you remove a whole lot of rock. Nobel had high hopes that his invention would create a, uh, an enormous benefit for humans. But as he neared the end of his days, he worried about his legacy, partly because a French newspaper published his obituary a little bit prematurely. Turned out Nobel's brother Ludwig had passed away, and the reporter assumed it was Alfred Nobel who had shuffled off the mortal coil. And this is when Nobel decided to dedicate a large amount of his enormous fortune toward establishing a trust that would reward those who made significant contributions to humanity, and that's how we got the Nobel Prizes. What a blast. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some more accidental inventions. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. 
So this next one I'm sure I've talked about before, but it's a fun one. Uh, The story follows Richard T. James, and he was enlisted in the Navy and served as an engineer working in shipyards in Philadelphia during World War II. And James was trying to solve a tricky problem. See, warships create a lot of vibration. They have these powerful engines uh, that are on the ocean, which has lots of, you know, waves, obviously. Also, uh, they tend to have these really big guns that occasionally fire great big shells that cause vibrations. But they also have lots of sensitive instruments on board. And sensitive instruments don't mix really well with violent vibrations. And so Mr. James was trying to figure out a way to stabilize these instruments and kind of isolate them from all the vibrations. His solution was to create a tension spring, but he needed to find just the right amount of tension. If it was too stiff, then it would almost be like there was no stabilization at all. And if it wasn't stiff enough, the darn instruments would be flopping around all over the place. So the story goes, he was working at his desk and he had all these different kinds of springs stacked all over the desk when one of them, which had just the right amount of tension, tipped over. Now, instead of just bouncing all over the place or whatever, it walked. The top end of the spring moved in an arc and gravity would pull that top down as well as the rest of the spring along. And as the bottom of the spring got pulled up, it became the new top and likewise would move in an arc and the process would continue for as long as the spring could stroll downward until it hit the floor and then just would end up, you know, righting itself and stopping. And James in his effort to stabilize naval instruments had accidentally invented the slinky. His wife, Betty, came up with the name. She was responsible for a lot of very smart business decisions, and James would work to find just the right type of wire and tension to replicate his happy accident, and he settled on 80 feet of wire that was coiled into almost 100 loops. In 1945, he began to sell the slinky through a new company that he had founded, and they sold like hotcakes. All it took was a a simple demonstration and they would fly, or at the very least walk, off the shelves. The invention story gets pretty weird after that. James would later become involved in a religious group as the popularity of the Slinky was starting to flag, and he would leave his family behind to go off to Bolivia and spent most of his money with this religious group. His wife, Betty, actually rescued the Slinky business, and actually successfully brought Slinky back to popularity. So it's good to see that with the wise leadership of Betty, the toy could, you know, spring back. Now, finally, I would like to talk about chocolate bars. Not the invention of chocolate bars. It's just that chocolate bars play an important part in this story. All right. So again, the year is 1945. Big year for accidental inventions. And a feller by the name of Percy Spencer was working with radar systems. Now, one of the components that Spencer worked around was a magnetron, which I know sounds kind of like a transformer, but while there is more than meets the eye, uh, it's actually a device that emits short electromagnetic waves, specifically in the microwave range. So in many ways, it's similar to a cathode ray tube, which is the light bulb-like device that's inside old television sets. So cathode ray tubes generate a stream of electrons, which then collide with phosphor on the backside of a TV screen and cause that phosphor to illuminate. But a magnetron generates something else. Again, it generates microwaves. And Spencer was working near magnetrons and noticed something. His pocket had become sticky. That's because he had a chocolate bar in his pocket and he was meaning to snack on it later, but something had caused the chocolate to melt. Now, the lab's temperature wasn't really warm enough to do that. So Spencer theorized that the microwaves generated by magnetrons had heated up the chocolate bar some way. That got the wheels turning. 
So Spencer's accidental discovery would lead to the invention of microwave ovens. The microwaves emitted by the magnetron will bounce around inside ovens because these ovens are coated with metal. They reflect the, uh, the microwaves. And so eventually the microwaves will hit the food inside the microwave. And at that point, the microwaves will get absorbed by water molecules in the food. And those water molecules will begin to vibrate from absorbing this energy. That vibration causes friction. And friction, as we all know, creates heat. And so by vibrating these water molecules inside food and making them vibrate super fast and create a lot of friction, you reheat the food or heat up the food. And it does it very quickly. And this is all because of a melted chocolate bar in a radar laboratory. Now, it's possible that every single one of the inventions I've mentioned today would have come about on their own time through some other means, that someone would have discovered it at some point. But I think the lesson that we should take from this is that the next time you have a goof up you should really pay attention because you might just be on to something. Anyway, I always think that it's fascinating to learn about inventions. As I said, a lot of inventions, as you read about them, you realize, oh, this is a an, an iteration, a refinement of a previous invention, and you have to go back a bit. And then when you go back a bit, you realize, oh, well, this in turn was built on top of some other principles. So you got to go back further. So whenever you talk about the history of any invention, you are running the risk of actually diving super deep into history until you just have to make a an executive decision of where you cut it off. So I hope you enjoyed this short episode about some of the accidental inventions that we have been lucky enough to experience over the years. I'm sure I'll do more episodes along these lines in the future. There are things I didn't cover. I didn't cover things like Velcro or Silly Putty, which is another famous accidental invention. So maybe we'll chat about those in a future case. Or maybe we'll talk about some purposeful ones in, in the future as well. In the meantime, I hope you are all well. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. 
The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.